If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're in part 2, week 2, of a series we started a week ago called The Case for Contentment. How do we practice Thanksgiving? Uh, Thanksgiving is not something that we simply express in words. I believe that Thanksgiving must go beyond what we simply say, but must be expressed in decisions and choices and the actions that we take on a given day. Um, I came across a story I want to share with you this morning that I hope will prepare, prep your heart for the direction that I want to go in this morning's message. Um, it's about a story of, of a wealthy um, father who took his son on a road trip to the countryside, and the purpose of this trip was that he wanted to show his son how poor people live. And so for two days and two nights, these two stayed on the farm of what would be considered a very poor family. Now, on their way home, the father turns to his son and he asks the son, Son, what did you think about our experience? And to his surprise, the son replied that it was awesome. He's thinking, huh? Maybe that was not the reaction he was expecting. And I'm sure perhaps he was thinking, okay, I'm not sure what's about to come out of his mouth, but let's give it a try and let's see what happens. And so he asks his son to tell him what it was that he learned from the trip. The son talked about seeing how the people that they stayed with for those two days and two nights lived. And then he went up to say the next thing, which was very powerful. He said this, that I saw that we have one dog and they have four. We have a pool that reaches the middle of our garden and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, but they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, but they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, but they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless. He was not expecting the son to say these words, but then the son closed by saying this, Thank you, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. The father took his son on this trip, hoping to show him how poor people live because his perspective was, we are not poor. And yet the son came away from that experience recognizing that, in fact, it was they who were poor. Why? Because of the perspective that he chose to have about what he saw, what he experienced. Perspective, friends, is a very powerful thing. Perspective is a wonderful thing. Probably one of the most often used illustrations of the importance of perspective is when you see a glass that is half empty. And the perception is, what is your view of this glass? And some people will say, well, I see this half full, I see this half empty. And this, the interpretation of those responses is usually that those who see a cup as half empty are looking at it from a perspective of pessimism, where they're wondering, why is this glass not full? I prefer, or I would rather this glass be full, and the, glass, the fact that the glass is not full is a problem. But yet the perspective of the one who sees it as half full recognizes that, you know what, I am grateful that there is water in that glass, that there could be no water in that glass. And so rather than complain about the fact that the glass is not full, I celebrate the fact that the glass is half full. Perspective is so important. And in this, in this series, we've been talking about contentment, what it means to be content, what it means to uh, be satisfied, be fulfilled. Understand this morning that, as we mentioned last week, contentment does not come from what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't come because of what you've accomplished or what you've not accomplished. 
Contentment is not because it is not it's, it's not based on you comparing your life to somebody else and wishing you had what they had, you did what they did, or you could you could you could have the life that they have. You must learn to be content in the sense that you must find happiness and satisfaction in your current condition. Not that you shouldn't aspire to be better. Not that you shouldn't aspire to 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 grow or to improve your lot in life. But but the, the contentment is, is, is this idea that we are grateful for who we are. We are grateful for where we are. We are grateful for the, the things that God is doing in our lives. And, and contentment, friends, is based on who God is. And it is based on what God has promised He would do in our lives. What God is already doing in our lives. And, and the point I want to make this morning is simply this. And we're going to see this in the scripture we're about to read. That in order for contentment to become our daily posture, our daily way, our daily way of thinking, it must first, it must first, excuse me, in order for it to become our daily practice, it must first become our daily posture. Our, our, I, I, heard, I, was, I believe it was Tony Evans who said this, that, it is, that our, our, our actions originate from our mind. Everything that you and I say and do on the outward, friend, it started with a thought. It started with a desire. It started with an inclination. It started in our minds. And so having the right perspective, having the right focus or view of life enables us to be able to then practice contentment as a, as a, as a daily way of life. And, and I want to read to you this morning the text we're about to focus on, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 to verse 33. Because in this text, we're going to see Jesus make this point about the importance of having a right perspective, one that is based on who God is, and what he has promised concerning us that he will do when we put our trust in him. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6, verse 24 to verse 33. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible Translation. The words are on the screen behind me, but certainly you feel free to follow either in your app or your Bible as well. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And so for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, Jesus said, that they do not sow, they do not reap, they do not gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his life's span? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But here's the point that, that Christ makes. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. The point Christ is making here this morning is this. That you and I, if we are to walk in contentment, must cultivate contentment by placing our trust in God's unfailing faithfulness. 
It's, it's important for us to understand this point that contentment is not something that, that we, 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 it's not a mindset we embrace automatically. Human nature tends to not be content. Human nature is constantly grasping, constantly seeking, constantly pursuing um, more and more and more and more and more. You know, you only have to watch news or watch, watch television to be bombarded. You're on the internet, you're on social media, you're constantly bombarded with ads and promos uh, inviting you to acquire, to, to see, to, to taste of, to, to, to grasp for experiences that quote-unquote are, 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 are supposed to make you happy. And the reality is, is none of these things make us happy. Now they may, they may create a, a momentary feeling of happiness, but it wears off. You know, in the same way that if I go to Marble Slap today and I buy my favorite ice cream, which, by the way, is birthday cake, if you ever decide to give me ice cream, <laughs> um, it's called birthday cake. The reality is, is once I'm done with that ice cream, I move on to other things. Drinking that ice cream, as much as I love it, does not define who I am. And, and in the same way, there are so many things that, that we are tempted, our flesh is drawn to, to pursue in the, with the expectation that if we acquire these things, that it will satisfy us, that it will fulfill us. And the reality is that they, 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 they do not. God wants you and I to cultivate contentment by looking to Him, by putting our trust in Him, by depending on Him. This is the point that Christ was trying to make. Because He was dealing with the people who, much like we are, had the cares and concerns of this life weighing on their shoulders. And, and, and probably were burdened by these cares and concerns. And Christ wanted them to realize that there's more important things than, than the pursuit of the stuff that you seek to acquire. You know, as I, was, as I was thinking right now, I was reminded of the, the, the story of, of Martha and Mary. Remember that story when Jesus showed up at their home. And the scripture says that Martha was running helter-skelter. She was trying to make preparation because this honored guest was in their, her, her house. And what was Mary doing? Mary was sitting with Jesus. And the scripture says that Martha was upset because she felt like Mary should be helping her. Mary should be helping her running around to, to, to cater to Christ. And yet Jesus told her, no, what Mary was doing was the better of the two. That what was more important than all of the running around that Martha was doing, the seeking to make a good impression because of this honored guest that was in the home, was the, her willingness to make herself available to him and to allow him to pour into her life. And in the same way, God is inviting you and I to also seek him, to seek his face, to seek intimacy with him, because it is only in him, friends, that you and I can be truly content. And so in the scripture we just read, I want to point to you four things that Christ invites you and I to do, to cultivate Contentment. And the first thing that we, he calls us to do is to submit ourselves to the Father's will. Notice in verse 24, Jesus begins by saying, no one can serve two masters. In the same way that you and I, we've heard the phrase, uh, uh, a two-headed two beast is a monster, right? Uh, a two-headed anything is, is, is not normal. In the same way, he says that you can never have two masters. You can never have your allegiance split to, between two entities equally. He says in, in, in being confronted with the opportunity to serve, you know, the, the option of, of, of masters that are available to us, he says in choosing one, in determining which we will follow, we are rejecting the others. He said when you choose one master, you are hating the other. If you choose to follow one, you are despising the other. And so he, he ends in that verse by saying you cannot serve God and you cannot serve wealth. Now the word serve in Greek is called duoleo, and it means to be loyal or to be controlled by. In the same way, you see the word hate, the word love, devoted, despised, words that he used in this verse. These words imply a deliberate, well thought out choice. 
he says to hate, to despise, to be devoted to, the, to love are deliberate choices that we make. In the same way that I would say I hate uh, you know, food that's too salty, right? It, it's, a, it's a preference. Why? Because there are others who would taste the very same food that I may complain that I don't like, but they love it because they love salt. So, so, so hate, friends, or, or despise, or being devoted to it, or, or, or loving is, is a deliberate, well-thought-out decision. Jesus' point is this, that in, in, in life, you and I have one of two choices, to either choose to embrace worry and all that comes with being worried, being consumed with our fears and anxieties about what, it, what may be in front of us, or what our future may look like, or we can choose to trust God. But we cannot choose worry and choose, and, and choose God at the same time. We have to choose one. If we choose to worry, it's because we, are choose, we, because we, don't, we don't believe that God is able to handle that issue that we're confronted with. But if we choose to follow God, it's because we recognize that no matter what we are going through, that God is always bigger. And that God will see you and I through and He will help us to overcome that issue in our lives. Jesus makes the point that worrying simply does make us slaves to whatever it is we are concerned about. In the sense that our will, when we worry, is captivated by that issue. Our mind is dominated by the thoughts that we feel over that issue about how he will turn out. When we are consumed by concerns of this world, it is difficult for you and I to find time to be able to worship God or to focus on God. I can tell you by experience how many times when I was just consumed with fear and anxiety about a situation I was in, that the last thing in my mind was, 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 was trusting the Lord with my situation. But can I tell you this, once I made up my mind that I was going to trust God, I was going to put this situation in His hands, can I tell you this, the worry stopped. Because now it became, God, I'm looking to you to direct me, to show me what I need to do, and I know you're going to come through for me. The, the awesome thing about, about trusting God is that we don't have to speculate, well, will God come through? No, God is able to come through, but we must make up our minds that we're going to trust Him to come, to come through in our lives. In Psalm 43, verse 5, David, the Bible shows us, was challenging the tendency for him and, and really for us to be consumed by our worries so that we choose, instead of trusting God, to just focus on the situation in our lives. But this is how he responds to that tendency that we all feel. He says this, why, my soul, are you downcast? He says, why are you so disturbed within me? Now listen, he's talking to himself. He's, not talking, to, he's talking to himself. He's saying... I'm going through a, a season right now where I am down, I am, I am anxious, I am worried, I feel depressed. And he's asking himself, why are you feeling that way? And this is why he challenges that notion. Why? Because he says, you have someone who is greater. Take your eyes off of your worry and your fear and your anxiety and focus on the one who is able to meet you in place upon a need. This is why he could say, put your hope in God. Yes, you, you, you feel like you have reasons to be worried, to be anxious, to be, to be down. But realize that God is greater than what you're going through. Choose to put your hope in God. And so he says, for I will yet praise him. Why? Because he is my Savior and he is my God. David makes a deliberate choice. I will not give in to worry. I will not give in to anxiety. I will not give in to my fears. Why? Because I believe that I belong to God. That God is my father in the same way that, that you may have a child that is, that is beside themselves because maybe they're hungry or, or, or they're, they're, they're hurt and, 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 they, and they, they're seeking mom or dad's attention or their presence and they come to you. And immediately they come to you and begin to minister to them. Notice what happens. They stop crying. Why? Because they know I am with someone who is going to take care of me. 
In the same way, God wants you and I to have this posture in our minds that, that there is nothing that you and I will go through that is too hard for Him. There is nothing that you and I can go through that is too difficult for Him. And so when we find ourselves confronted by the cares and the concerns of this life, where we are worried about what tomorrow is going to hold for us, what God is saying is, choose to focus on me. Contentment comes because we focus on God. And we must choose to submit ourselves to Him. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. In the same way, you and I, again, cannot choose to hold on to our fears, our worries, our anxiety, and yet be saying or claiming that we trust God. No, you have to do one or the other. You cannot do both. But God is inviting us to choose Him. God is inviting us to submit our fears, our worries, our concerns to Him and put our trust in Him. But cultivating contentment not only means that we submit to what God wants in our lives, but also it means that we admit our inadequacy outside of the Father's help. Verse 27, Jesus says, he asks this question, he says, Why by worrying can you add to your lifespan? The reality is, is what he's saying is, you are worried about something that you have no control over. The dynamic of the concerns and the stresses and the cares that we experience that cause us to be anxious, to be worried, to be overwhelmed, to be depressed, friends, is based on this perspective that we've developed that there's nothing I can do about this issue. I don't have the power or ability to resolve this problem. If we knew the answer to every struggle we have, we wouldn't be worried. If we knew the answer to every, every circumstance that we were facing, we wouldn't be anxious. But anxiety, worry, fear, they come from this, this inner, inner sense that there's, I, I feel helpless to do anything about the situation I'm in. There's nothing that I can do to fix this issue. And, and Jesus says to us, so if that is the case, if, if worrying is simply acknowledging your helplessness to deal with a need or situation, why are you still worrying? Give up worrying because it does you no good. Instead, seek the Father's help by admitting your inadequacy. That word worrying that Jesus used in verse 27 is in the Greek, now it means to be anxious, to be troubled, to take anxious thought. Anxiety adds nothing to your life and my life, friends. If anything, it actually hurts us. I came across a study from Psychology Today in which a 2016 study confirmed that overreacting, constantly worrying, and living in a state of perpetual anxiety can actually reduce a person's life expectancy. Science proves that when we are consumed with worry, anxiety, fear about the things we cannot control, and we allow ourselves to be consumed by that worry, that it actually shortens our lifespan. Jesus is again stressing this point that only God, friends, has the capacity to deal with the struggles we face. And so the reality is, is that worrying about that which we ultimately have no control over is not going to produce anything of lasting or real value. And so why do it? Why do it? Why worry? Why be fearful? Why be anxious when we have God? When we have one that we call our Father, we can run to Him, we can call on His name, we can cry out to Him and know that He will help us, He will meet us in our place and point of need. If we are to cultivate contentment, friends, it involves recognizing and being willing to admit, God, I cannot do this without you. I don't know why, but many times I know it's a struggle to come to terms with the fact that, that, that we don't have control over circumstances in our lives. But that's okay, friends, because we are not God. There's only one person who can claim to be able to have constant 
never any control over every circumstance, and that is God. You, you, you will never have complete control. There will be circumstances that you that will be confronted with that will confound your, your knowledge, your ability, your expertise. And that's okay. Why? Because it's an opportunity for us to look to the one who is not limited in the way we are limited. That we can be content knowing that our Heavenly Father will help us because we call on His name. Cultivating contentment not only means that we admit our inadequacy outside of God's help, but number three, cultivating contentment means that we must rely completely on God's sufficiency. Jesus paints for the disciples in verse 20 this scenario. He compares them to birds and he compares them to grass and he talks about the fact that that birds don't have to worry or wonder where their sustenance is going to come from. And I've always wondered about that. How do these birds just always seem so full and plump and just buoyant? And, and it's because God is taking care of them. I, I don't believe that for, for a moment, you know, any, any living being has to wonder where, where my sustenance is going to come from. No, God provides for them because he created them. And he is their, he is their provider. And Jesus says to, to us that, that in the same way that God provides for the birds of the air, make sure that they are sustained. And that we look at grass, insignificant grass, we walk over, we step over, and the scripture says that it is God that ensures that the grass is clothed, that they grow, that they are nourished. How much more you and I, if God takes care of these insignificant things compared to us, how much more you and I, if God is diligent to provide, won't he provide for you and for me? You and I, that he's created in his image, he's created for relationship with himself. God's desire is that you and I learn to see that he is more than any sufficient for us. Contentment says that because we believe that God has never failed us, because we believe that we matter to God, that we are valued by him, that he cares deeply for us, that he wants us to depend on him, what contentment does is it causes us to not question his character. We don't doubt his goodness. We don't underestimate his greatness. And we certainly do not reject his help. When we are content, we are saying, God, I need you. God, I cannot live without you. And my trust, my complete and total trust is on you. Contentment says, I believe that God will take care of me. That whatever I need, God will provide. I may not have much compared to somebody else, but I know that God will take care of what I need when I need it. That from day to day, God will sustain me. That God will not allow me to go without sustenance. He will provide. He will protect. How many things, how many ways do we see God working in your life and my life to remind us that he is for us. He's taking care of us. And yet it's all too often when we go through circumstances. The first thing we start to do is we question his character. We question his goodness. We question his integrity. God, do you not care? God, do you not love me? God, what's the point of following you? God is saying to you and I, we can rely on his complete sufficiency for us. If you do what he does to sustain the birds of the air, the, the animals that walk on the earth, the grass of the field, what, how much more you and I, that he, he sent his son to die on the cross for, that he demonstrates his love for, so that you and I can know him and be transformed by his love. Finally, this morning, cultivating contentment means not only that we rely on the Father's sufficiency, but that it also is an opportunity for us to enter into fellowship with the Lord and to make that fellowship our primary concern. Jesus in verse 33 says that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But before he does that in verse 32, he uses the word seek 
to refer to something else. Twice we see him use that word seek. When you look at the Greek word for those two words, the first word Greek is seek in verse 32, and then the next word seek he uses in verse 33, even though it's the same word, they actually mean two different things. The first word, the word, the use of the word seek in verse 32 in the Greek is called epizetosin. And it suggests this idea of chasing after or longing for something that you and I think will satisfy us. Operative word is we think it will satisfy us, but in reality, it was never intended to satisfy. We think it will satisfy if I have this, if I gain this, if I acquire this, then I'll be happy. But we fail to realize that those things that we're seeking, that we're pursuing, were never intended for making us happy. That was not its purpose. Give you an example. Some people see money or having money as synonymous with happiness. If I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. Because in their minds, having a lot of money means that they can do whatever they want. But here's the thing, friends. Money does not exist to simply make us happy. Money serves a function to allow people to do things that we need to do. But it was never meant to make us happy. It was never meant to make us content. There's a reason why I said that. Why? Because there are many people who are rich and yet they're unhappy. There may be people who are, who, 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 who are surrounded by luxury and yet they are not content. There's constant grasping. Why? Because money was never intended to make us happy. That was never its purpose. But the enemy wants us to think that if we have more, if we have more, if we have more, then we'll truly be happy. No, friends, we will not. Some people see marriage as, as, as useful to solve problems. One of the things that we always do whenever we have couples that are getting married, we'll have them fill out a questionnaire. One of the questions is asked is this, are you trying to solve a problem by getting married? And typically, and I know sometimes it sounds like a trick, trick question, but whenever people answer no, I, I, I believe it's because they understand that indeed they're not getting married because they're trying to fix an issue. But whenever the answer is yes, it becomes a red flag for me. Not to suggest that they should not marry, but to call their attention to, to, to a greater purpose that God has for marriage. Marriage is not meant to be a means to an end. Marriage is not meant to be a tool that we use to acquire or to gain what we want to gain. No. Marriage is meant to serve as an illustration of the relationship that Christ has with his church. And so in the same way that Christ is glorified through the church that he gave his life for, that husbands, we are called to serve our wives, to love our wives, to sacrifice for our wives. And it's not a one-way, one-way kind of interaction. It's, it's mutual. That in the same way as you and I respond to Christ and he's, he's working in our lives and helping us become more and more like him, that marriage is meant to be about two people coming together and building a life that glorifies God. Marriage was not, was not created to simply satisfy or to fulfill our lives. I tell people, listen, your husband, your wife does not complete you. Only God completes you. Only God can complete you. Because your husband or your wife, they are not perfect. But God has brought them into your life so that you might complement one another and support one another and encourage one another and build one another's lives. But friend, no person can complete you. Only God can complete a person. Affirmation. Some people derive their sense of self-worth from what they've accomplished or from the opinion of others. They feel validated when they receive recognition for their achievements and when others hold them in high regard. But again, Words of affirmation is not meant to satisfy you. There are people who, who, who crave the attention of people, who crave the approval of others, and yet 
when 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 the when when the, when the, the voices are, are, are silenced and they are by themselves, friends, it is chaos. It was never meant to satisfy or fulfill us. Again, the point I'm making is this, and this is what Jesus is trying to say: that those who seek satisfaction in things that were never intended to fulfill us will find themselves seeking endlessly. You will never be happy. You will never be content. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how, how much praise you receive. You will never be fully happy because those things were never created to make you happy. Instead, he says, happiness is found in verse 33. This use of the word seek, it calls, it's called zetete in, in Greek. It suggests this idea of chasing after or longing for something that by God's design will satisfy you, will fulfill you. And what is that? Jesus says, we seek an intimate encounter and connection with God. Fulfillment, joy, uh, satisfaction, a sense of purpose. That I'm not just simply drifting through this life. That I, I exist to accomplish a, a divine mandate, friends, that comes from a relationship with God. And, it, and is experienced because we are seeking that encounter with God. And the reason why a relationship with God fulfills and satisfies and enriches is because God created you and I for relationship with Him. That's why we exist. I don't exist to simply live and then one day I die. I exist to know Him. I exist to walk in relationship with Him. I exist to bring glory to Him. And so, in the same way that contentment is not about having whatever I want or doing whatever I think is right or best for me, but rather it's about realizing how blessed I am. Again, remember that illustration of the half glass full cup. That I, I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for my lot in life. I'm grateful for where God has brought me from and where God is taking me. That I know that I am blessed. Why? Because I have absolute confidence in the knowledge that God will make sure that I have everything I need. Why? Because he is looking out for me. With God, you never have to worry if, if your needs be met. With God, you never have to wonder if your, your, your struggle will be, will be overcome. God gives us assurance that when we put our trust in Him, that He will work out according to His purpose and plan, His best for us. And so the question I ask you this morning as I conclude this message is this. Do you understand why contentment must first start here before it can become a daily practice? We must have a perspective where we say, you know what? My contentment is not based on what I have or don't have. What I've done or not done, my contentment is based on who God is and what he has promised me. And so I hold on to his promise. I trust him completely. And I live out each day knowing that as he leads me, that he will always bring me into his best for my life. You may not have what the world says you should have. But because you have him, you have everything that the world could never offer you. And God invites you this morning to choose him. He invites you to trust him. He invites you to depend on him. You know, Thanksgiving, we're going to be celebrating this coming Thursday. And some people may say, well, Pastor John, I have nothing to be thankful for. Trust me, you have a lot to be thankful for. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's, God's mercy is new in your life. Again, you, you, you know, happiness is not based on what the world says it is. It is based on what God says. And because you have put your trust in the Lord, you have reason to be thankful. You have reason to be grateful. You have reason to be joyful. Why? Because your, your, your life is in the hands of a holy God who loves you and he demonstrates that love every single day. So trust him today. Trust him. And, and develop a mindset that says, God, 
I look to you for my sustenance. I look to you for my provision. I'm not going to look to self. I'm not going to look to others or to things. I'm going to look to you and to you only. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for the words of Jesus in the scripture we read earlier. Inviting us, Lord, to take on a different perspective from the perspective that we are oftentimes used to. It's natural for us, Lord, to seek pleasure, happiness, satisfaction in things that were never intended, Lord, to satisfy us, Lord. And God, I'm grateful that you remind us in your word today that the only thing that can truly satisfy, the only thing that can truly make us, give us a sense of contentment is knowing Christ. Is seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. And, and doing so knowing, God, that we don't have to worry about where we will eat, where we will live, where we will lay our head, what, what, our, what our tomorrow is going to look like. We don't have to worry about those things, things that we have no control over. But that, God, we can trust you and be assured that, God, because you are God, and, God, all those things, Father, you will take care of. And, God, I thank you that you are taking care of every need. Every single day, God, you're meeting us in our place and point of need. God, you're showing yourself strong and mighty, Father, in the simplest of ways and even in the grandest of ways, Father. And, God, for everything you've done for us, we want to just say thank you. And thank you, Father, for the recognition today that, God, our, our, our worth, our value is not defined by what we have or don't have, but it's defined by who you say we are. And what you say about us, Lord, is this, that we are loved. What you say about us, Lord, is that we are cared for. What you say about us, Lord, is that we are valuable to you, valuable enough, Lord, that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So that by his death, his sacrifice on our behalf, we can be forgiven of sin. And by his resurrection from the dead, that God, we have the gift of eternal life, the promise of abundant life in this life, but then in your presence for eternity. God, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters here today, that God, you would give them that sense of assurance, Lord, that God, they have everything they need because they choose you. And that, God, you will always come through for them. And, God, whatever need may be expressed here today, no matter how dire that situation is, I am grateful, God, that, Lord, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is impossible with you. You are bigger than every circumstance. And for whomever may be discouraged today, God, may they be encouraged by this truth that those who trust you will never be put to shame. And so, God, help us today to practice thanksgiving to walk in contentment and to show a watching world that God, our peace, our joy come from knowing you and knowing that God, you will always take care of your own. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen.